performance anxiety. Proud member of Pantheon Podcast Network. I'd like to welcome Blue Oyster Cult drummer Albert Bichard to the show. He gives a really great history lesson about the band, including the gig that was so bad they had to change their name. He's happy to talk again about the classic SNL cowbell skit and how he turned off the show just before it aired. He also taught for years and has had some very talented students that you might recognize. He's recently re-recorded the Blue Oyster Cult album Imaginos as Reimaginos. He tells me the entire convoluted story about the original release and why he decided to finally redo it. Pick up the album because it's now the way it was originally intended to be. Follow Albert on social media and on YouTube. And follow us at Performance ANX on social media. And if you enjoy this, consider getting us a cup of coffee at coffee.com slash performance anxiety. There's no commitment. And that's ko-fi.com. Let's get right into the show before there's a siege and investiture of the Performance Anxiety Podcast on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Hi, this is Albert Bouchard. I'm talking to Mark Shea on the Performance Anxiety Performance. (laughs) (laughs) Performance Anxiety Show. Yes! (laughs) I was just a little anxious about that. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm in my uh, my trailer actually. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. is that like an airstream? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so it's, it's almost new. It's I've I've only uh, I've only used it like three times. Oh, really? Four times. Oh man. Yeah, and I've had it for two years. Oh, well, this year was a washout. Well, yeah. For for so but, many uh, things. I keep it on Long Island, and and I. This is where I have to vote, so I haven't voted yet. So, oh, me either. I'm, I'm, I'll do that first thing in the morning. Yeah, me too. I, I'm gonna. The polls open at six. I said, you know what? Daylight savings time. I woke up at five thirty today, so I, you know, I might just go there. <laughs> just kind of hang out for half an hour. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't be. I, go go there. I can't be. A, I, I got this uh, Buffalo Trace white dog. Uh, it's a weeded mash. So, Ooh. yeah, I use that to clear my throat just now. So I got to uh, kind of calm down on that if I want to make it to the polls at six o'clock tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just I just finished my second Guinness. So, oh, that's my favorite. Yeah, yeah, we got it on tap out here. Oh, so. nice. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like the real thing. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's one thing I wonder. I've never been able to, to go to Ireland and check that the uh, brewery out in person. Yeah. Well, if, if you go to Ireland, you've got to go to Dublin. Absolutely. And if you go to Dublin, you should probably check out the Guinness factory. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It, ta- it doesn't taste like that anywhere else. Uh, that's, you know, my dad's been a few times and that's what he's told me. And uh, uh, I said, why don't you take me? <laughs> Come on. I'm your, I'm your son. Hey. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Now is not a good time to travel, I don't think. No. But, you know, you can't even go. Things will change. Oh, yeah. You can't even go between states without having to quarantine yourself, apparently. In certain instances, yeah. Where where are you? I'm in Virginia. Okay. So I am about seventy five miles due west of DC. So I'm in Winchester, okay. home of Patsy Cline. Yep. Well, 
New York stopped with the quarantine. You just have to have to have a COVID test. That's all. No. Oh, that's, that's good. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I know DC. If you're going to go into DC from a bunch of the a bunch of different states, I don't even know if it's if it's every state or if it, they've got certain hotspots designated. But you have to quarantine yourself for two weeks before you can go anywhere in DC. It's just, it's just crazy. It's unbelievable. Yeah, but, yeah, that's pain in the ass. Yes, it is, especially if you're trying to do business in and out of D.C. It's just, how the hell are you yeah. supposed to do that? Anyway, I, want, I do want to thank you for joining me tonight. I really do okay. appreciate it. This is fantastic. What I like to do is I like to find out where my guests have come from, how you got to where you are now. And I, want, I like to start off with how you got into music in the first place. Uh, was it a f family thing? I mean, I know your brother's also a musician with Blue Oyster Cult and, you know, uh, among other things. But w was your family extremely musical, was having both of you guys do it professionally? Well, um, my parents weren't uh, professionals or anything like that. My dad was an engineer and my mom was a teacher. Okay. Uh, and actually, she, she worked for the FBI first. So that kind of leads into where, wow. you know, uh, I got my first influences because um, she was a single woman. She had just uh, graduated from college and she got a job uh, working for somebody named Tolson. Okay. Who was Jagger Hoover's, if you ever saw the movie Hoover. I have. Uh, okay, well, <laughs> there's a... <laughs> There's the guy Tolson, who's he, you know he's uh, Jagger's uh, main guy. Oh, okay. And and in the movie, the irony is my mother, and I hate to say this about about her because she's passed on and everything, but she was a bit of a bigot. Oh. Yeah, yeah. You know, I would have all these black friends, and she would not want them in the house. <laughs> and do they have to come here? And wow, oh my god. Man. But the beauty is that. That movie Hoover came out the year a year after she died, and the person playing his secretary was a black lady. That's fantastic! <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Poetic justice. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good thing it came out when it did, I suppose. <laughs> she would have liked it anyway. Yeah. She, yeah. So, but yeah. So when did you start playing music? What were you listening to at the time? And, and what really influenced you to start playing music? So she, she, uh, I, I think she probably had a boyfriend and stuff, but <clears throat> she wasn't married. She didn't have a family. So she had disposable income. So she had a huge library of records, mostly Benny Goodman and Bing Crosby. Oh, okay. So that's what we heard in the house all the time. Benny Goodman, Bing Crosby. Now, when I heard Benny Goodman, I didn't even hear the clarinet. Oh, really? I heard the drums. Yeah. I heard Gene Krupa. Gene and that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be Gene Krupa. But, you know, it was kind of like a, a pipe dream to me because, you know, I played in the school band and stuff, and it was, uh, I don't know, it was kind of corny, and, uh, you know, and I, I played the cymbals. I <laughs> I don't remember much about it. I saw a picture and I'm playing the cymbals. And I'm like, oh boy. I, yeah, I'm like that guy in uh, Cool Rock there, you know, yeah. the one that wants to light fire. Yeah. <laughs> I told my kids the ridiculous story about me and cymbals to just at dinner tonight, actually. I like playing guitar, but I'm 
self-taught, so I'm not very good. But my first musical experience was in elementary school playing the cymbals. And I had one, one note to hit, one time to crash the cymbals. But nobody ever told me you, you're supposed to kind of smash them offset and just kind of smash them like you know you don't like just crash them straight in together and so i did that and it created a vacuum and they got stuck so, so i'm supposed <laughs> to have this this big cymbal crash at the end of the song it's the last thing to be played and instead of the you just get a and the song ended with a thud <laughs> <laughs> so that's me and symbols. So hence the, the name of your podcast, right? Exactly. That's where it all started. <laughs> so, you, so you started off on drum. So, yeah, you were on Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, no, I played piano at first. Oh, really? Okay. At the I mean, I was like, I wanted to play drums, and my parents were like, no, no, you have to play piano. So they made me take piano lessons for four years. Oh, wow. So, and I, you know, by the last year, I absolutely hated it. I kept begging them, please, let me stop. I got a job in the pharmacy, and you got me doing funerals as altar boy and you know in the middle of the week in in the morning and then i have to go to school and then i go from school to the pharmacy and then you know so uh they finally let me stop and take the drums you know after four years but i didn't really think i would ever be in a rock band except that my my cousin teddy streets his father even though he was like a real estate insurance agent guy, he was a weekend warrior every weekend, Friday and Saturday night, he would play at one bar or another in our little town. You know, I think there was, I don't know, four five, six bars. Okay. He, so he had a whole band set up in his house. Oh, That's wow. where his band would practice. That's awesome. And yeah. And my cousin was like, Hey, let's have a band. You know, my dad says we can use his stuff. Oh, nice. So, yeah, Uncle Bill got us started, and he showed us, you know, he showed everybody how to play the guitar, and he didn't show me how to play the drums, but, you know, he, he taught us songs, you know, he taught okay. us the chords and how they would go, and and uh, there was, originally there was four of us, there was me, my brother Joe, my cousin Teddy, and his cousin Eddie Baznat. Oh, okay. And, and then, uh, after about a year of that, playing like that, and... and we were, you know, at first, uh, Teddy played the drums. I played piano. Joe played trumpet. And Eddie Basnett played bass on the guitar. No, he played lead guitar. That's oh. right. He played guitar, too. Okay. But then and Teddy, Teddy, Teddy started getting really good on guitar. And so Teddy became lead. And Eddie played bass. And I played drums, which was great. Oh, wow. Because... <laughs> Well, I, I, I'm still not very good on piano. I, I you know, <laughs> actually every time I go, go on the piano because of the four years that I play piano, like I really know how to play piano and I can play stuff. Like when I record stuff, I can do a whole take, you know, okay. no mistakes. But when I play it live, it's like this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. I, I just go right back to elementary school when I was doing those concerts, oh, you know, on the like, piano. And I just like, I not only did I hate it, I sucked. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's your performance anxiety. Yeah. So that's my performance is on piano, but I never had that with drums. So, and after a year, then we got my other cousin, Steve alone to play the saxophone. 
Oh, cool. And and we started doing vocals, and of course, Steve had a really good. We all had good voices, so yeah. we would do Beach Boys, you know, and you know all you know the Vogues and all the those you know harmony groups, you know the doo-wop stuff. We yeah. did all of that. And then, you know, the Beach Boys, we came, we did the Beach Boys, you know, which was kind of like a, a cross between a jazzy, you know, Hendrix, you know, Lambert Hendrix and Ross or the High Lows or something like that, you know, with rock, you know, with that's a rock beat. So that's even better. And then, of course, then the Beatles came along. Oh, there you go. And we hated the Beatles. Oh, did you? But, <laughs> oh, yeah, but all the girls loved them. So we actually got, you know, the, the collarless jackets, you know, and we didn't have long hair, but we got beetle wigs. Uh, and we, <laughs> yeah. And we awesome. the whole record, the whole Beatles record. And then the wow. next record would come out, we'd learn the whole record. We'd do the, the whole album, like, you know, as a set. Wow. Yeah. So it became a Beatles uh, tribute band. So is this the Regal you Tones? Know? Yes. Yes. So you've done your research already. I so, tried. Yeah, so that's how the Regal Tones got started. Okay. And, and that turned into a whole thing, you know, where we were playing every weekend. We were playing more than my Uncle Bill. Oh, wow. And, you know, I never went to a prom. I played <laughs> two, sometimes three. And, you know, and we make a lot of money. You know, we made enough to buy nice equipment eventually, and 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 we we had a huge repertoire. We had like five hundred songs that we could play, and oh my, you God. know, when we when we play the prowns, we play the stuff that our uncle Bill showed us. You know, all right. the jazz. You know, chances are Misty. Oh. You know, all these. You all know, the all these classics. jazz. Yep. And so you did that until you went to you went to college. Right. And then, I went to college. And then the, so the Regal Tones were, th were through after when, when you left for college then? Uh, I think they got another drummer for a little while. I, I, it, while I was in high school, because I, I was kind of a bit of a hustler, I, uh, I taught lessons to the other kids, you know, the younger kids in town. I would give them drum lessons. You know, if somebody had a drum kit, I'd come over and say, oh, no, 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 do this. No, no, put your foot like that, you know, all this Ooh. kind of stuff. So they had, they ended up getting one of my students to be their drummer. Oh, wow. You know, and, but Joe was, Joe was just, even though he's a year and a half younger than me, he was only a grade behind. So when he graduated, that was in. You know, oh. Well, was Joe, Teddy, and Eddie, they all graduated. And St Steve graduated with me, so they they carried on without Steve and me, but the sax player. Yeah. But uh, it's funny, when I went to college, right, I was going uh, for engineering, and I, I knew that, you know, I struggled with certain things like calculus. You know, I, I would get great grades in, in uh, school, in high school. But when I went to college, I was struggling with uh, uh, some of the classes. So I said, I'm not going to play. I'm giving up music now. This is it. It's done. And then, of course, I... Uh, one of my classmates is like, you play, you played in a band in high school. I said, yeah. He says, Oh, I always wanted to do that. You know what? I know this guy and he, he, he's really good, man. You got to meet him. So yeah, I said, okay. He said, we're playing at the freshman talent contest on Saturday, you know, in, in the gymnasium, you know, why don't you come over? And I said, okay. So his name was Bruce Abbott, right? Okay. He actually, 
he wrote a song for Blue Oyster called, uh, oh, called uh, what was it, Mirrors, I think. Uh, oh, and Golden Age of Leather, too. Oh, wow. Raise your can of beer on high and seal your faith forever. Our best years have passed us by the golden age of Yeah, he, we, he's around, you know, he lives in uh, Ithaca, New York, and my sister lives not far from there, and uh, and my brother's daughter, Joe, a lot of people live in Ithaca, it's a good, you know, it's a college town, it's more, it's not like your typical upstate New York where it's all farms and cows and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I went to school up in Rochester, so... Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went to RIT for. I lived there for a while. Yeah, I went. To, I went to RIT for a few years. Cool. That was a. Those were a gray few years, man. It, it gets really gray in the winter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very much like northern Germany, actually. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. It, it looks a lot like that, like oh, that, wow. just like that. Oh man, then you I don't want to go you there. Were, <laughs> <laughs> no place the south you know stuttgart <laughs> besides it besides the porsches it's a beautiful place it's, that's the the black uh, black forest area okay okay well then maybe i'll go one of these i'll go, I'll go to ireland now and germany well i've been to germany but i was on the army base with my uncle so that was about it uh, so, so I haven't been doing a whole lot of international traveling, but so you go to, to college and you meet up with some guys. And is this when you form the travesty? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think we were, we were the disciples first. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, yeah, yeah. I think uh, Bruce Abbott wanted to call us the disciples. And I was like, you know, that's just, a, I mean, there was my high school band was before we were the regal tones we were the disciples and then we found that there was another band called the disciples and we said oh okay you know another high school band in the you know in watertown or something right and uh, and then uh, so we caught we changed our name to the vibrations okay. and then we found there was a band called the vibrations we're like ah oh. <laughs> i said oh how Regal tones. This morning, no, nobody would ever take that one. <laughs> <laughs> it becomes kind of like Spinal Tap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but Bruce Abbott came up with travesty, and I was like, travesty? What does that mean? That's a bad word, right? <laughs> yeah, travesties are never good. <laughs> so, all right. I so, said, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> so, that had Don in the band, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, you know, oh, oh so I got to tell you, though, at yeah. the freshman talent contest, I walked up and I said, hi, Bruce. And he goes, hey, hey, Don, this is that guy I was telling you about. His name is Albert. I said, oh, Don, pleased to meet you. And he starts playing a little something. I said, hey, man, you, you, you sound like you're almost as good as my brother. And he goes, who's your brother? You know, like excited. Who's your brother? Yeah. I said, Joe Bouchard. Eh, never heard of him. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. 
so <laughs> so yeah that's, i like that one a lot years later. <laughs> 50 years later you still remember oh man did the travesty turn into soft white underbelly or is there some something in between oh. Well, you know, it was a college band. We were all, you know, uh, with students at, at Clarkson College, and uh, you know, and w- the first year that we played, I was I was in school for two years at that that college, and um, the first year we were well, I don't know if it was arguably, but we were probably the worst band on campus. Oh. We stunk. We were terrible. It, it wasn't so much that there was no talent there. It was just, it was misapplied. You know, I mean, Donald and I were very, very talented. We had a a singer who was a phenomenal singer and we had my friend, Jeff Latham, who was a great guitar player and Bruce Abbott, of course, playing the bass. Right. But, uh, Bruce was not, he'd never played a, a a guitar or a bass or anything like that. He, he got one just to do that. Oh, wow. And he wasn't really good on the bass. Ah. But towards the end of that, I caught him playing on a piano. Exactly the same thing happened with Alan Lanier. I, I, I saw him playing on piano. I said, hey, man, you can really play the piano. He goes, well, yeah, but I want to play the bass. I said, no, no, you're playing the piano. We're going we're gonna to get you an organ. So we bought a Farfisa organ for him to play. Oh. This is the second year. Okay. You know, when we came, you know, within the first couple of weeks, we drove down to New York City and we bought him an organ. We brought it back. Jeff Latham switched to bass. And of course, that was perfect. And, and instead of trying to do all these like pop songs, we turned into like a blues group and we did just blues. Oh, okay. Cool. And we went from being the worst band on campus to being the best band on campus. <laughs> but. The problem with that was that, you know, is the better we got as a band, the worse our grades got. Oh. So we were all on the verge of flunking out by the end of the second semester, that second year. And so uh, so Don and I decided we're not going back to Clarkson. That's it. We're going to be musicians. Oh. Jeff Latham is like, I don't really I don't think this is for me. I want to be a musician. But I, uh, even if I'm not a musician, I'm not gonna go to this school. I'm going. It, it, we're either gonna make it as a band here, or I'm going back to Chicago. Okay. So, and Skip, Skip was uh, he was gonna try and play with us in the summer. And Bruce Abbott was like, "Nah, I can't do it. I can't do it. But I got to go to summer school and raise my grades up. My parents will kill me if I don't." Yeah. You know? <laughs> I so, know. Uh, so he he left the group to stay in Clarkson at that point, and uh, and Skip was noncommittal. He was like, "Well, I don't know. I I might, but you know, let's see if we can get some jobs." So he knew some clubs in Rochester. We went there and. We couldn't get it. We couldn't get hired. Oh, we wow. couldn't, you know, it's like uh, all the clubs were booked all through the summer. And so then Skip said, well, I know some clubs in, in uh, Albany. Skip had been in other bands, too. So he played the clubs. So we went to Albany. It was the same deal. You know, we went up to Lake George. There was no no clubs up there. We could. So we had no gigs. So we all went our separate ways. Uh-huh. Don went back to New York. I went back to upstate New York. Uh, Jeff Latham went to Chicago, and uh, Skip stayed in in Albany. Okay. He eventually he eventually graduated from Clarkson, and so did Bruce Abbott. But uh, 
And uh, Jeff went to school. He signed up for school in Chicago. And then he called me and said, listen, I'm in a band and they need a drummer. And I convinced them to fly you out here. Oh, wow. I says, oh, so I, I flew out to Chicago. I had put my drums on the plane. Oh, geez. In, in, in cargo. And, wow. uh, and we, and I played with that band for a couple of weeks and then the lead singer just one day he disappeared. Oh, never oh. to be seen again. Really? The, the name was, band was called Bafo. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently he had signed a record deal and they gave him a check. Oh. So he just, yeah, he just t did a flyer on the Get check. Down on <laughs> nice. Yeah. Oh my so, God. So anyway, so I guess he wasn't very committed to uh, being a musician. It's <laughs> not, not long-term anyway. But anyway, so then Don Roser came out to Chicago with uh, our friend Steve Sauter and Steve had this big Cadillac and they drove out because Don was going to go he was about to start school in New York Institute of Technology. He was going to go there instead. He was going to transfer. So they came to Chicago to see me, and I said, please take me back to New York. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm working for a head shop making like $25 a week, <laughs> and my rent is 35 <laughs> So, uh, oh. yeah, they took me, you know. They took me back to New York with my drums. I, oh, I promised I would drive. I said, I'll drive. Oh, there you go. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah. And so we, we got up and we smoked all this pot, you know, and everybody piled in the car with my drums and, and I started driving. I got to maybe South Bend. Yeah. <laughs> and I had to pull over. I'm like, I'm falling asleep, guys. <laughs> and they're, they're all asleep. I said, okay. Yeah. So I took, went to sleep. I woke up and, and it was, you know, it was in the morning. The light, sun was up. They're like, where are we? Well, I said, we're almost there. <laughs> I had to pull over. Yeah. So. Sometime that that next night we made it to Donald's house. Wow! Oh my yeah, god! Yeah. So and then oh. and then Don said you got to meet this guy Sandy Perlman, you know, and all the guys at at uh, the Bennett Roadhouse, which was like off campus housing, okay, right by Stony Brook. So there was this big house. It was like four stories, giant house, and there was all these kids. You know, these students staying there and they had a jam room. Oh, cool. You know, a jam room, acid room, whatever. <laughs> a catch-all. We would, we would go and, and play there. Well, I only played there, I think, twice. The first time I played there, there was a guy named David Roeder, and he seemed to be running the show. So it was David Roeder and Alan Lanier I met that day, and Donald, and a guy named Andy Winters played bass, and I played drums. And they said, well, we already have a drummer, Joe Dick. I said, no, that you, you put me on it. No, that's really his name, <laughs> Joe Dick. So, so I said, well, where is he? Where's his, where's his drums? Oh, well... Uh, I don't know. He's he couldn't make it today. I said, "Well, I'm here." So I played, and apparently, uh, uh, you know, maybe 
15 years ago, I ran into him, you know, and he introduced himself to me and oh, I'm Joe Dick. I said, Oh my God, man, I didn't ri- yeah. recognize you at all. You know, I, I didn't know you existed. He says, I don't know. You know. But, uh, I said, well, I certainly know who you are. I said, what happened? He goes, well, you know, my brother had a construction business and so they really needed me to be working that, that job. So oh, I couldn't God. come out. So that's why I said, well, sorry. He yeah. said, well, worked out. Who knows if I, if you weren't there, who knows yeah. what would happen? Yeah, things may have turned out a lot differently for everybody. Yeah. So this is when the beginning of Soft White Underbelly then? Right, right. Okay. And at the time, it went, at that point, it was really, I mean, we could have had two drummers. It would have been no problem because we had a we had Mike Witzel on cello and oh, wow. we had somebody else. So we had a, a guy named Buffalo who played acoustic guitar. We had John Wiesenthal, who was the guy that started the whole thing. Okay. John Wiesenthal played guitar. Alan played guitar. There was a lot of guitars. Yeah, I'm getting that. <laughs> and, and, and that was the same thing where I heard Alan play, and I'm like, wow, you can really play the You know, when I see somebody who can really play the piano, I'm impressed. Well, you know, yeah. <laughs> just my own, you know, anxiety about that instrument and how difficult it was for me to master it, you know, so see people just effortlessly, you know, like, especially Alan Amir. I mean, he was an amazing, amazing keyboard player. I don't know, even know why he wanted to play guitar, except he was, thought it was cool. Yeah. You know? But, you know. Yeah, that's the case usually. You know, and he, he got, he became a very good guitar player eventually, you know, by the time we were Blue Oyster Cult, he was really, you know, holding his own with Donald. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I made him play the piano. <laughs> <laughs> the same piano we played, I might add. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> yeah, Don and I bought the other guys out. We said, we're keeping the organ here. Here's your 25, and your 25, and your 25. <laughs> Oh man, Southland Underbelly was it, now that you guys were kind of more of a jam band I, I, from what I was gathering. Yeah. Jeff Richards on saxophone and, and vocals. So okay, a lot of people playing with us and it was, it changed all the time. Sometimes it was just, uh, you know, Andy Winters, Donald and myself, we'd done gigs as a trio too. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Man, did you guys ever record any of that stuff? No, no, I don't think so. I, I, I mean, I have a tape of uh, Donald playing some guitar stuff. Uh, when we had the band house in St. James, which is that Stony Brook, 1968, probably. Oh, wow. You know, but it's the only, only tape that I have. I mean, the, the next tapes that I have after that are some practice tapes where we were, we, we still called ourselves soft right under our belly, but we had played a gig, our first gig with Eric. Well, actually, it was a, our third gig. The first gig was a society gig where we played for some 
sweet 16 party or something okay. you know with a they had a rock band and they had a uh, a smooth smooth band you know like a big band okay lester land lester lannan orchestra <laughs> I always you know. <laughs> eric knew who he was you know eric oh. knew who he was uh, <laughs> i never lester lannan he was famous in new york for playing those kind of you know, society parties. So you right? never heard and of then him. the next one. Now you don't played, forget him. Yeah. yeah. And so then we played uh, at the Electric Circus. Oh, with wow. Eric. And that was like a showcase gig for, uh, for Electra. Okay. And, uh, and that was kind of okay. Although they decided that Eric, Eric, you know, he, he was a singer and he, he didn't really play guitar that much. He knew how to play it, but he didn't usually play guitar when he sang. And and Sandy Perlman said, "You, we need you to play guitar. Look like you're playing guitar." <laughs> so for this this electric circus gig, Eric was playing. He borrowed some guys uh, Rickenbacker twelve string, oh, you know, which wow. is a great guitar. Yeah. So the electric guys they came and they watched the show and they said, "Well, we think." Eric's guitar playing has added a lot to the sound of the group, but we think you still need a lead singer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Oh. His, his guitar was off. So, it yeah. wasn't even plugged yeah. in. Sure, it did. Oh, yeah. yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. And then the gig after that, right? And now we're feeling like, oh shit, you know? Huh. Yes. And the gig after that was playing, uh, was opening for Jethro Tull and Jeff Beck at the oh. Fillmore East. Wow. And we totally bombed. We totally bombed. It was horrible. Oh. You know, people were telling us how horrible we were. And, oh, it was oh. the worst thing they'd seen at the Fillmore. And we're like, oh no. Oh my God. Uh, so, so we got to change our name. So. <laughs> <laughs> so we were in the middle of changing our name. Some gigs we played as the Soft Red Underbelly. Some some gigs we played as our, our new name, which was uh, Stark Forest Group. And okay. this was, uh, let's see, that must have been in the fall of 69, I guess. Something oh, wow. like that. Okay. Because in February of 1970, uh, we drove to California. Sandy Proman talked Electra into letting us recut our album. Okay. In a different studio. So, and the day we were supposed to go, we got like three feet of snow. So we couldn't get out for two days. Oh, jeez. Couldn't even get out of town. So finally we got out of town. We dug our way out of the out of Great Neck and uh, and we drove to LA first time I'd ever been there Alan Don and Andy Winters and our road manager Alan Shapiro the, the four of them drove they rent they got one of these like you know where you offer to take somebody's car to the other side of the country you know oh, yeah. one of these driveway things yep. yeah so it didn't cost just a big gas that's all so they they drove out there with that well, how did they get back? <laughs> I don't remember. Maybe they didn't. They just vanishing pointed the whole thing. I don't know, but I remember <laughs> they, they had this big Cadillac, <laughs> and Eric and I took 
Eric had a Chevy, Chevy panel band, like, not a kind of line, like a full-size panel band. It was oh, huge. Wow. So Eric and I, Chevy, and, uh, and we drove the two of us to California in 50 hours. Wow. Holy yeah. God. Yeah, not even really speaking, but we didn't stop just for gas and food. Oh, my God. Pee. Yes, yeah. you can't really yeah. stop to do it that fast. Oh, my. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, Eric, Ivan, I would sleep, and then he'd say, oh, can you, wait? Can you drive? i go, sure. i drive, and he'd sleep, and I'd say, Eric, I can't. So that's how we did it the whole way. Wow. Jeez, you guys yeah, made it on yeah, time? It oh, yeah, yeah. We we were there, but the, the other guys, they got there two days later. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so we ended up hanging out. You know, we went over to the record Electra West uh, recording studios where the Doors made their records and stuff. And, yeah. You know, it was, it was pretty cool, you know, just hanging out, you know, and uh, or, or in the motel, there was all these rock stars there, too. It was the Tropicana Hotel where all the, oh, you yeah. know, at that time. It is a rock stars. And is this about the same time that uh, Jackson Brown was almost the lead singer? Uh, that was that was actually in the beginning when uh, the okay. soft dried underbelly. Oh, OK. You know, that was. Yeah, I mean, we could go into that whole, that's a whole, you know, how we, you know, we, first we had all these people and then it kept getting less and less and we, well, we got less Brunstein and once we got less, then we became a five person group and that was pretty much it. Wiesenthal didn't really play with us anymore okay. and Jeff Richards, uh, Jeff Richards about out of the band. He was, you know, he had to hit the books or something like that yeah. study. So, and, uh, Witzel, Witzel, you know, he moved to Vermont and he would come back and hang out at the band house for a long, you know, for a week or so. And, yeah. you know, use everybody's toothbrush and, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh. the band house. Oh, geez. Yeah. I mean, it was it was OK until we got girlfriends and stuff. And then it was, oh, they didn't like that. <laughs> So one of the cool things I've, I've, I liked about the band is the fact that everybody at some point sings. And was that kind of the idea from the start that everybody would, would sing some of their own music or was that something that just developed over time? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, in the very beginning, I sang all the songs in the very beginning of the, you know, well, Dave, no, in the very, very beginning, David Roeder sang all the songs, okay. but by the third practice, he had moved to California. So he, you know, and he was going to uh, university, of, you know, university of Southern California for, to get his uh, master's degree. So I became the singer until less less uh, well no then then we decided that we had to have a lead singer that wasn't playing the drums because it was hard i don't know and, how you do uh, that That's yeah i you know i listened to my performance you know live you know george geranius would record every single show you know in blue oyster cult oh cool you know he's got a huge catalog of of, of uh, shows wow. and uh you know george was our sound mixer Okay, okay, so I would listen after the show and I would listen for the song that I sang, which was usually Cities, and it was horrible. It was oh. horrible. 
you know, so now that I'm older and I sing that song, it's like, it sounds great. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like it, it sounds to me now when I listen to it playing back, like it used to sound in my head ah. and didn't sound. <laughs> playing back. So, you know, you know, you as a singer, either that or I've just accepted my voice now. It's yeah. like, okay, I, I, I think that, uh, who was it? Oh yeah. Yeah. So I saw this great vlog last night. Okay. Was it last night or this morning? I don't remember when it was, but I think it was this morning. This morning I saw Toya Wilcox and Robert Fripp. Have you ever seen their podcast? Yes. Yeah. It's great. It was very, the first time I ever saw it and I was like, wow, this is really good. You know, I never met him, but I've always known that he's kind of a little funny. Yeah. You know, Yeah. (laughs) but he's actually very, very, very humorous and a a brilliant guy. And she is, you know, she's also uh, brilliant and talented and funny. They make a nice combination, but she said, I've learned to accept my voice. I don't, I just sing. I just sing. I don't try to stylize myself anymore. Like I remember in in Blue Oyster Cult days, I was completely taken with Steve Win- Winwood. Oh, okay. And so I would try. I would try and emulate his sound. Oh, and wow. Okay. Occasionally, you know, I, if I do a Steve Winwood song, like I one song that I can play on the piano and sing very well is low spark of high heel boys oh really that's yeah. awesome which is a it's, you know it's a pretty good piano song it's got a lot of beautiful kind of jazzy stuff in it it's got a lot of amazing lyrics yes and that's a you know so uh, if i do a steve winwood song i'll i'll probably try and sound like him a little bit yeah. you know or we did a thing we did a my brother and I, we, we have the side group called the Bouchard brothers, right? You know, we, and basically it was to go out and play songs from our solo records as well as a few, you know, because we have this other group with Dennis Dunaway, uh, called Blue Coop. songs or we play the hits okay we don't play any of our solo material in that group okay i mean i think we play one of joe's songs but you know it was getting frustrating for me because you know i never got to do any of my solo stuff and uh, so joe said well let's have this bouchard brothers we'll play you can play guitar we'll have no drums and uh you know it'll be like three guitars me you and my girlfriend his his girlfriend Joan Hepburn. So anyway, we did we did a, a cover of "Give Me Some Lovin'" for uh, the healthcare workers in Long Island, you know, for a charity. Oh, awesome! Uh, in the beginning of the thing, and it was great. I, I was like, oh wow, you know, you know, we lowered the key a little bit so I could really sound like uh, you know, I wasn't straining on. It, yeah, you know? uh, but I think he lowered the key too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, he's younger than me, too, so... All right, so I have a couple other questions about some tangential stuff here before we okay. get too deep into because uh, I, I want to find out a little bit more about Imaginos and Reimaginos because Imaginos okay. confuses the shit out of me. So I want to find <laughs> I want to I want to figure this whole okay. thing out. But okay, you the Blue Your Cold has had a, a long time relationship with Patty Smith, and I was really curious as to how. That started, and I believe I heard that she kind of tangentially inspired the song Godzilla. Yes, so, absolutely okay. correct. All right, how did that yeah. all come about? You can ask Buck Dharma, he'll tell you. He, <laughs> she gave me the idea. They were going to write it together. He was very excited about, you know, because I had written, oh, I don't know, four or five, maybe six songs with Patty. And so I think he was a little, you know, he wanted to write a song with Patty too. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, he, I think he already did, he did write something after I wasn't in the band, but um, okay. you know, he, he did write it. He ended up writing, actually writing a song with her, but he was supposed to do that. And what happened, she was on the road and they couldn't get together and they couldn't, uh, you know, it was before we have, you know, the internet yes. and <laughs> Skype and this is what we're doing right now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. If we had that, you know, I'm sure she would have been co-writer with him and it would have, it might, well, I mean, still even a completely I, different song. <laughs> Yeah, I think it would have been a, a scarier song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Don is, a, he's a really pretty lighthearted guy, you know, yeah. he's very funny. If you, have you ever talked to him? No, never. Oh yeah, he's very oh, funny. He's, oh man, Maybe I can get both of you guys on at some point. Yeah. So she... So it started with Sandy Perlman. Okay. Sandy Perlman uh, brought... You know, he brought her her lyrics to the band house and he started telling in her, her, her poems, I guess, her, her book of poems. He brought Seventh Heaven. And uh, I thought, wow, this girl is she looks good and she's, you know, her lyrics are great. You know, and he said, well, she's doing a concert at a church with Lenny Kay and uh, you want to come? I said, yeah, yeah, sure. So I went and saw this concert. It was it was fantastic. I thought, you know, uh, that, well, I'd already met Lenny, you know, as he was a rock writer, so I'd yeah. already met him, but, uh, I thought she was fantastic. And, and so he's like, maybe we should get her in the band, you know, as a co-lead singer, you know, with Eric and, oh man, and I said, yes, yes, <laughs> let's do that. You know, we can, you know, the East coast answer to the Jefferson airplane, you know, yeah, you know, two totally different leaders, you know, it'd be awesome. And, and the rest of the guys are like, no fucking way. <laughs> no, no way. Especially Eric. I said, but you'd still be the lead singer, you know? Just, he says, no. If I wanted a girl in the band, I'd have my girlfriend in the band. <laughs> oh, man. Debbie. 
Debbie, what's her name? <laughs> oh, man. I also heard, and, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but there's a connection between the band and J.K. Rowling. Yeah, uh, well, just that she was a fan okay. that we didn't, you know, nobody knew that. You no, know, I, I got a call a couple years ago or more than that, I guess about three or four years ago saying, oh, yeah, J.K. Rowling is uh, is using your lyrics in a, in a new book that she's writing under a pseudonym with this Robert Gale with. Oh, wow. And uh, I said, what's the name of the book? He goes, Career of Evil. I go. Oh, <laughs> oh! So they're just using the title. He goes, "No, she's using it all throughout the book." And sure enough, wow. it was there. Wow! Yeah. So that was very cool. Very cool. I'd read all the Harry Potter books to to my youngest son. You oh, know, yeah. I mean, from the very first last one. You know, when he was a kid. You know, his bedtime stories. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so my I already them read them all. My kid, I never yeah. read them. My kids grabbed them and 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 took them I've, I've never i haven't seen them since so oh <laughs> they love them i've never had a chance to read them speaking of, of people using your material and i'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because we, this gets beaten to death i'm sure with everything every interview you do the saturday night live skit with the cow yep yeah did they yeah, act, that, yeah. did they have to no. uh Didn't know anything about it oh okay. nope. not a word not I, a word. I heard about it the day after and the irony was I was watching Saturday Night Live and I saw special guest Christopher Walken. I'm like, oh, Christopher Walken again. Let's yeah. <laughs> 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 have him on there. They do. Oh, when are they going to, you know, Dan Aykroyd, get the old crew back, you know? Yes. So, uh, oh, uh, Who's this Will Ferrell guy? Anyway? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I turned it off. It, you know, it had the Saturday night, you know, and I thought it was going to cut to a commercial break. Yeah. And also David Roeder, I had just been working on a, a record with David Roeder and he asked me to make a TV track, you know, a track without a vocal. Okay. So as he could go on this, uh, you know, local New York 150 channel 150 you know uh, yeah. singing, singing song live you know to the track that I mixed that day oh wow so so I said oh oh yeah looks like it's time for him to go on so I switched the channel <laughs> and I missed it oh no because it went that was the first that was the first skit <laughs> it went right into it I missed it oh man yeah so but yeah I loved it though when I did finally see it I'm like holy crap this is really funny it was how did how did Will Ferrell even know there was a cowbell on the track you know I remember telling Shelly Yakis Shelly that cowbell is a little can you turn it down you know Shelly Yakis the he was mixing it you know yeah and he's like Albert, if I turn it down anymore, you might as well just turn it off. <laughs> I said, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> David Lucas is like, Shelly, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you actually really want a triangle instead of the cowbell? Yes. Wow. Yes, absolutely. And it is there. You can hear it. Okay. I have to listen a little clo more closely now that I've I'd heard that. Okay. So I'll tell you where it is. It goes, boom, 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 ding, boom, 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 ding. Right there. Okay. On that last 
Nice balance that you'd have this. Actually, when I heard Donald's demo, I thought I heard a cowbell. I mean, a, a triangle there. Oh. But it was just how he hit, how he hit the string. Oh, wow. You know, how he got oh, like, wow. a little harmonic on the string. And I was like, wow, that would be cool if it was actually really there, you know, instead of just. So I, I think... I think I, he, I've heard a demo that he that's on one of the records, but it's not that one. It's not the one with the middle. You know, he was trying to show us how to play it. So. Yeah. Well, that yeah, there's other other uh, percussion instruments on there too, but you know that song has just become embedded in pop culture. And uh, one of my everybody loves the SNL skit, but one of the things that I saw involving don't fear the reaper is uh, i don't know if you've ever seen the show top gear on the bbc yeah okay yeah well before, old top gear. oh yeah yeah before jeremy clarkson punched his producer in the face and got fired they did a, yeah they did an episode where they had to take cars and turn them into ambulances and uh clarkson took a porsche 944 oh, I that up. yeah he takes a 944 and i believe it's uh, the the siren that he uses is "Don't Fear the Reaper" instead of an actual siren. <laughs> it's one of the it's it's one of the later episodes, right before they got. I think it's the final season before they got canned. I gotta check that out. It's hilarious. He's yeah. just flying through town. Oh, it's brilliant! <laughs> so, so you guys, you get to the point where you're no longer in the band. And you're working on Imaginos, but the songs are right. a lot older than the time that you started working on them, right? They were they, they were there from yeah. the beginning of the yeah. band. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, from I mean, they weren't there at the beginning of the Soft Red Underbelly. Okay. Uh, Sandy was just he was just a friend, really, and uh, and he told the story uh, about Imaginos back in the band house in 1967. Okay. And uh, probably a couple months after I met him. But uh, according to him, he had been working on that since before he met any of us, you know. Wow. Probably 66. So he'd been working on this idea for a story, you know, or, or a series of poems or something. He didn't know exactly how he was going to present it. But uh, then he started writing lyrics for us. You know, in the beginning, it was just uh, Alan and myself were the only two people that were writing songs. You know, he had always written songs. I had always written songs. So right. it just seemed like the right thing. To do. And uh, he would come along and say, well, I've got a better idea for that lyric. And he was always right. He would always improve it. He would always make it something that was like, what? Wow. Yeah. How, how, how did he even, you know, and if you asked him to explain it, he would explain exactly what he meant. Oh, wow. you know, but he, he was like, well, what do you think it means? <laughs> <laughs> Sneaky. He said, you know, I mean, that's, that's what P 
people like to do. They like to interpret their things the way they want to interpret them. So, and it, in your case, I'm sure if you guys are saying it, if you have your own ideas, might might make it sound a little bit more personal than if you're singing somebody else's lyrics. Right. Well, and, and I mean, we were also, you know, we they were our songs. So, you know, it was even if it, it wasn't our lyrics, if it was Sandy's lyrics, we still had that whatever it was, that musical uh, inspiration to, to drive us on. I don't know what the first song. I think the first song was Blue Oyster Cult. I okay. think the first imagined okay. song was, was that one. Astronomy, that was in 73, so that was only a couple years after uh, he had written uh, Blue Oyster Cult. And, of course, we recorded that as Subhuman on a Secret uh, Treaties record. Yep, yeah. And, and uh, so we recorded Astronomy. So there was two songs that were meant for this series that were uh, recorded by, by 73. The day that Donald wrote Don't Fear the Reaper which was in 1975, in the fall, he called me up and said, I got this riff. And he played me the riff, and I'm saying, wow, that's a great riff. You got words for it and stuff? And he goes, yeah, yeah. I said, uh, what are you going to call it? He goes, I don't know yet, but I got a real good idea about what it is. I said, cool, hey, hey, I, I, uh, I got a song that I wrote today, too. He goes, oh, let's hear it. So I played him Imagine Those. Oh, cool. So wrote those two songs on the exact same day. Wow. And he's like, oh, that's really cool. We got to do that, you know, but we didn't, you know. But, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Imagine Us was not... I'll bring, I'll bring us back to right now, this moment, yes. because one of the reasons why I wanted to redo the Imagine Us record was just for that song, because I thought... I thought I did a terrible job on it. I thought that the, the music was wrong. I just felt like it didn't fit the song. It, it was certainly not anything like my, you know, my vision when I showed it to Don, you know, right. when, you know, and I was thinking, you know, I wrote it the same time as we wrote the Reaper. We were kind of in the same musical space, you know, as much as we could be. Yeah. And, and it really should have been more like don't fear the Reaper. More like a ballad, more like a. So uh, I didn't really like uh, how it came out on on the Imaginist record. I was mad at Sandy for leaving "Girl That Loved Me Blind" off. Yeah, because that was good. That came out great on that record, <laughs> and yet he left Imaginist on. And and uh, I remember saying to Steve Shank, "What? Why did Sandy do that?" And he's like, "Well." It's the name of the record. You got to have it on there. I'm like, no, you don't. You don't have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so that, you know, uh, that came along then. And then right after that, it was about, no, it was before that. Yeah, actually it was before because I was still on, 
uh, 10, East 10th Street in the village. I wrote Imaginos. Well, yeah, I was, on, I was still on East 10th Street. Yeah, around the same time, Sandy Perlman started coming to my house and helping me uh, write these Imagino songs, which at this, you know, after astronomy, the, the cat was out of the bag. He was like, I want to do, I'm the one you warn me of, you know, yeah. and uh, I, I wrote that in that house. I wrote Del Rio in that house. Oh, wow. I wrote, or that apartment in the East Village. I wrote, uh, Sa uh, Sandy and I wrote Del Rio together. Uh, music and words and I mean he, me mostly music and him mostly words but we you know we worked on both things together at the same time okay. and Girl That Looked Blind we also worked on that together I mean uh, that his uh, his melody it's like that's what i want for that section. and so so he actually did write that lyric he actually had a pretty good singing voice oh he geez. tried out before we got eric as the singer sandy tried out to be the singer and oh. even though he had a good voice he didn't have good rhythm and not much power you know so he's trying to sing the songs and then eric comes and sings it and it's like yeah. He stopped it. <laughs> Dunked on Sandy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, like, you know. Eric is, yeah. Eric's voice is, I mean, it's funny because I, you know, I'm, I don't want to ever say anything bad about him, but he was having some problems with his voice. Even when, uh, as late as uh, 2017, I think I played a gig with him and, and uh, he was still having problems with his voice. Oh, wow. Then... Last year I saw him, I played a, I played a show with him and he sounded great. You know, I was in the audience, I heard him, you know, and then I went up on stage and it was sounding great. And then, uh, then of course his performance on the new record is, is great. I don't know if you've heard it yet. I have not it's, yet. Uh, Eric sounds amazing. Like oh. he sounds like he, he sounds like he's at the top of form. Oh, wow. You know, you know, which is pretty cool because he, he almost lost his voice there for a while. Man. You know, and he, he had no power, and now he's sounding powerful again. So, Oh, that's good to hear. That is wonderful. Yeah. So with Imagino, yeah. there are so yeah, many people on this album, on, on the, the original Imaginos. Yes. There's, I mean, you, you've got, like, uh, I'm just pulling up now, Joe Satriani, Aldo Nova, Robbie Krieger. How did that all... Yeah. It was supposed to be your first solo album, and then it ended up becoming a Blue Oyster Cold album. You got all these guests. It's, it's, it, everything seems so confusing to me. Well, okay, so I'll give you a little bit of the history of that, is uh, that when we were doing Cultosaurus Erectus, uh, Joe had written In the Presence of Another World, and I had uh, I was trying to get the band to do I Am the One You Warm Me Of. So we actually worked up those songs, you know, for Martin Birch to to uh, do. And uh, Eric didn't really like uh, I Am the One You, you Warm Me Of. 
whatever. I, I think it's good. You know, it's interesting. And so we didn't record that one, but we did record In the Presence of Another World. Okay. And then Martin felt that the vocal just didn't make it, you know, that uh, it didn't fit on the song. So we didn't do it. So uh, Sandy was extremely frustrated. I think, uh, I don't think he's got any songs on that record. On that one or the next one either. So uh, by then he was, uh, you know, but he was also, you know, working with The Clash and all this other stuff, Black Sabbath. And so he had a, lots of irons in the fire. But he said, you know what? I'm going to get you, I'm, I'm going to get us a record deal. Sandy Proman Albert Bouchard. Oh. And we're going to put out Imagine. So I said, okay, okay, very cool. So then, of course, a year later, I'm out of the band. Right. And uh, Sandy's like, listen, don't worry. I'm going to get a, a solo record deal for you. I, I've, I've got Columbia as they want to do it. Uh, you know, I tried to get uh, Don a solo deal with them a couple years ago. He wanted to do his own solo record and uh, they hemmed and hawed. And so I got it. I got him a deal with Epic Records. He said, and I'm going to take you to Warner's if they don't, if they don't sign this. Okay. And so they did to a solo record deal. It was for three records, double CDs. So they wanted about approximately 65 minutes of music, something like that. Oh, okay. 65, 66 music so i said easy you know we'll you know these songs are long they you know this, some of them have like three pages thing three single space pages of lyrics <laughs> you know if bob dylan can do it i can do it right. so, uh, <laughs> so we did the record and i remember saying to sandy at the time we've got we've got you know we're taking too much time to do this we've got to like book let's book a month in the studio and we'll do, you know, we'll do the whole record start to finish. He's like, no, no, I've got to, I've got to go make sure BOC is, you know, he's got all his signs in the fire. Right. He can't do it all at once. So the record drags on by 1986, everybody who, who was there to sign me at Columbia is gone. Oh, wow. It's a whole new group of people. Mm -hmm. And instead of song people, you got bean counters. And so in 86, we're starting to, we're just about to start working on the mixes and these Columbia guys come out. And the one guy, the guy who was the head of the record company says, uh, okay, I don't want to hear anything else. Just play me the single. And Sandy and I look at each other like, uh oh, it's a single. It's a single. <laughs> I don't know. Astronomy? It's eight minutes long. Okay, we'll play astronomy. Let me blind. He's like, ah, it's too slow. It's too slow. Astronomy, we'll play astronomy. So they play astronomy. It's like, yeah. Yeah, well, maybe we can edit it. Maybe we can make it three minutes long. Oh. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, what's going on here? He says, uh-oh, I think we're in trouble. So... I had a very good friend, A&R guy at Columbia named Arthur Levy, still, still a good friend. Good. And I saw him at a party and he goes, Albert, 
they're talking about like tanking your your record. They're not going to put any. They put enough money in. They're not going to put another penny in it. Wow. I'm like, oh no, what do we do? So I like, Sandy, what do we do? And he goes, I don't know. I don't know. You know, maybe maybe they don't like their vocals. I said, well, I'll get Joe Sarasano to sing it. So I did. I got Joe Sarasano to sing. I think uh, there was supposed to be uh, twelve songs or no. 11 songs. There were supposed to be 11 songs plus, uh, well, really 12 songs and uh, a like a cappella version of one of the songs, oh, okay. Magnum Evolution. So Joe sang, I think, five songs. He sang uh, Gil Blanco, Siege and Vestiture, I'm the One You Warm Me Of, Del Rio, and. I don't know, one other one, I can't remember. Okay. Not Girl That Loved Me, but anyway, it was some other, he should have done that, I would have loved to hear that. But anyway, you know, I only had a little bit of a time, and, and so I, I played the songs for Sandy Perlman, he goes, okay, I'll bring them to Electra, and, I mean, to, uh, to Columbia and see what they say. And he comes back, he goes, they still don't like the vocals. Oh, wow. I'm like, not like Joey Sarah, this guy is like, like Ronnie James Dio. Yeah. You know, he's got one of those voices that's just like rock, you know, it says rock spoken here. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, okay, this is can't be about the vocals. This is about something else. Yeah. And so I didn't hear from Sandy for a little while, maybe oh, months. Actually, I, I actually did not hear from him for about 10 years, actually. Oh, but, wow. Yeah, yeah. It, it, the thing spun out of control after that for me because uh, Sandy took the tapes, went to sing, moved to San Francisco, and the next thing I know, Steve Shank, who's Sandy's assistant at the time, now he's the manager, but he called me up and said, uh, "Listen, Sandy, Sandy talked the BOC guys into uh, putting it out as a Blue Oyster Cult record." I said, "What? After all this time?" And they didn't uh -huh. want to do it. Now they want to do it. He goes, well, they don't exactly want to do it. They're, Sandy begged them, said, please do Albert and me a favor. Put it out with your name on it. Oh, and wow. uh, have you overdub your voices on some of the songs and that'll be it. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, well, does that mean I'm back in the band? Yeah. And they go, uh, yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. How could they? How could they not? You know, they're putting out your record. You got to go out and promote it. Right. He said, oh, by the way, those songs that you recorded with Joey Sarasano, you don't happen to have the masters of those. I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll bring them over. <laughs> <laughs> so I was disappointed. I mean, very disappointed. Very disappointed, number one, and how the record sounded. The fact that they left two songs off, that it was only a single vinyl not a double yeah and that they tried to jam too many songs on per side it was 24 minutes per side and the so they had to master it very quietly so if you tried to put it on your record player you had to turn it way up just to hear it and the, uh, you could hear all the noise yeah yeah <laughs> so oh. it was terrible it was terrible. I, I thought, oh my God, we spent how many years? Seven years making this thing and trying to make it as perfect as possible. And now the very last thing, ah, dropped the ball. So, you know, and, and it got 
hardly any promotion. It really didn't get much at all. And I, and, and I wasn't in the band as I thought I would be. And, uh, so I was disappointed. I was very disappointed with with what happened. I I felt that you know there was a few people that wrote. You know, I mean, I just talked to David Frick. He's my neighbor in in the city. Okay. And we we run into each other now and then. And uh, and I told him what I was doing. And he says, "Oh man, you got a copy for me?" He said, "I." I'll run home and get it right now. <laughs> I got and he said, you know, I did, I wrote it, I gave it a four stars in Rolling Stone, you know, when the original one. Oh, wow. So I love, yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, so that's how it became a Blue Oyster Cult record. Okay. You know, essentially boiled down to record company pressure that they didn't see how they could, uh, how they could sell it. So, uh, you know, it's okay. too, and, 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 you know, I think that, there, I mean, we felt the pressure. I remember saying to Sandy, I think that we need a better chronological order. Maybe we need to have it written down as a story, you know, and, and he's like, but, but the songs, they're not supposed to go together like that. They're supposed to go around in a circle. They're supposed to be circular. They, they, <laughs> they reference each other and they, and you, he said, where would you put, I am the one you warn me of. Would you put it first or would you put it last? Or wh where would you, where would you put Lays Invisibles? Yeah. So I put it next to Del Rio because it's Del Rio. He's going from New Orleans. I put it maybe in front of Del Rio because, you know, there's the dance, the Don Pedro and all of that stuff, you know, the, right. the, the, the voodoo stuff. You know, maybe, I don't know. So, but when I did this record, I, you see, I, I disagree with him about not making a, a solid chrono chronology to it. Yeah. But when I went to put this one and I didn't have him telling me what to do. Yeah. I realized, oh yeah, he's got a point there. There are certain things that I just felt like had to be certain uh, leaps of logic that didn't work for me, especially, you know, I, for many years, I've worked with this guy, Mark Barkin, and he was a, he, he's an older guy, and uh, he's uh, 12 years older than me. And so he had hits with Elvis and Leslie Gore and, oh, and, cool. and Springfield and all these girl groups and, and, uh, and uh, he had country hits. He had 60 top 40 hits, you know, before I met him. Wow. And by the time I he was like, I'm done with writing hit songs. I want to write plays and musicals. So that guy would write a musical every two years. He would do a musical. He would get people to put it on, you know, to, to, for back auditions and all this wow. stuff, you know, or stage readings and all this stuff. So I kind of got into it a little bit, wow. you know, but, you know, so, and people have said to me, a lot of interviewers go, do you ever imagine it? being like a stage production or something. And I say, yeah, I can imagine that, you know, you'd need somebody to write a book, but there are certain things that you want to make it a little bit logical. Like for instance, the song blue oyster cult, right? Yeah. And right in the beginning of the song, he goes left to die by two good friends, abandon me and put to sleep on a shore where oyster beds are seen plushes down and ripe enough for the Lexa dream. Then he goes all into the Lexa dream and all this other stuff. But essentially the blue oyster cult are, uh, this non-human species that comes, they could be aliens. They could be, uh, you know, they, they could be the Cully from, 
H.P. Lovecraft. They could oh, be yeah. anything. Human, though, and they come and they find uh, Imaginos on the shore and they nurse him back to life and then they tell him where to find that treasure that he's been looking for. It's going to be in the Yucatan Peninsula in the jungles of, the, of Mexico and it's going to be buried and this is where you go. Okay. Right. So, and, and so he gets back in the ship goes back to Mexico and, of course, finds the mirror, brings it to England and gives it to his granddaughter for um, her birthday. And that's the end of the story. That's in uh, 1893 or possibly 1894. Okay. So before uh, Blue Oyster Cult, there has to be something that explains why did they put him why did they leave him on shore? Right. They're his friends. Why did they do that? Right. I mean, maybe he did something bad, but there was already a song that would explain it. And that was Gil Blanco County. Blanco County is not about a horse or about the rain or anything like that. It's all about the sickness. Okay. Bad oats. The bad oats are the sickness. Okay, okay. So imagine Oats is on the boat now and he's sick. Uh, okay. So they have to put him in so that they don't, you know, they quarantine him basically. And uh, so he's on the beach. Okay. And left it out, you see? Oh, uh, okay. So, and when I, I, you know, because when I was, when I was talking to Sandy, I was like, well, Sandy, what is, Gil this is back in the soft right underbelly bit days or, or really stock forest when we first worked it out. Okay. I said, what is it about? And he goes, well, bad oats. Well, that's like bad acid or bad food or bad air or some, something bad that you have to consume right. that you take into your body and it makes you sick. And that, that whole song is about uh, the sickness. Okay. Okay. You know. Maybe the rain will wash us clean, or maybe not. So, and this is part of, or was initially part of a trilogy that you were going to be doing, right? And now you're redoing Imaginos as Reimaginos. Is there a reason that uh, you're doing it now instead of, I don't know, you know, five years ago or two years from now? Uh, well, five years ago, I talked with Sandy about it. You know, Sandy was still alive then, and we had. He said, "Well, I'm." I was like, I didn't even care about Imaginos. I said, "Let's do the next volume." You know, that one's already done. Right. Let's do it. Let's next one. And he said, "Okay." I said, "You know, I've got that Three Sisters song. I've got the Independence Day song that you wrote, and I've got Half Lifetime. So there's a bunch of songs. You know, we could put that together with when the war when the war comes." You know, maybe Shadow of California. He goes, I don't know about that one, but we definitely uh, Black uh, Workshop of the Telescope's got to be in there. I'm like, oh, okay. So that was originally supposed to be, you know, when I, the last time I talked to him, well, I mean, I talked to him in the hospital, but the last time he talked to me, right. and that was on 
you know, when he was in the hospital, it was like I could talk to, I talked to for two days. I talked to him for eight hours a day. Wow. Uninterrupted. Well, you know, or I sang to him, you know, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was very bittersweet because I hadn't seen him in over 10 years. Wow. Well, I, I saw him at the rocker girl festival with Patty Smith. That was the last time. So when was that? But we, we talked on the phone, you know, not that often really. It would be like once a year okay. or something or some, somebody would die. Yeah. <laughs> One of our friends, yeah. you know, and uh, we reach out to each other. So uh, so you've, you've redone the, and, and you've actually included the songs that they left off for the Reimagine Us. Yes, yes. And you also, I found that you, you give credit to the players on the original Imagine Us album in, in Reimagine Us, which yes. I think that's fantastic. That's, that's absolutely wonderful. Well, Sandy put like a list of a million people, all the people that did the overdubs, people that I never even met, you know, that, wow. you know, that he did in, in, in California. And, and when you listen to my version, you listen to the end result, it's almost exactly the same, yeah. you know, except for the vocals, you know, it's like they didn't, you know, I said to Don, did you, did you play on, uh, you know, the tracks? And he goes, well, uh, yeah, I played guitar on, you know, almost all of them and they didn't use a single part. Jeez. Yeah. So he said, you know, I was disappointed, you know, but they just wanted, you know, I, I just wanted to play on it, but they, they were like, nah, we've got what we need. You know, we got Satriani and Krieger and, you know, and, and Tommy Morangello and Jack Rigg. And so, um, wow. Aldo Nova. Yeah. I mean, the whole idea for my solo record, I was going to have all these people because that was what was going to sell it, you know, yeah. with the approval of sign me i said well robbie is already committed to doing it alex lysong is going to do it which he didn't do it eventually but it was okay you know we got other people you know uh, i never you know of course when we started imagine us you know joe, nobody knew who joe satriani was right yeah you know you know there was a lot of people that played on it that didn't you know didn't make the final cut like les claypool he played on it really oh wow yeah, yeah i met him I was playing a gig with Mike Watt and the and the Minutemen. Yeah, yeah. And not the Minutemen. No, the Firehose. Firehose. Yeah. Yeah. A firehose gig. Yeah. So I would play played a few firehose gigs. Oh, cool. So and they they were opening for uh, well, it was actually it was the BC Boys were the headliners. Then there was uh, what's this group um, Primus. Primus and then Mike Watt. Wow. So Mike was the open. Yeah. Jeez, that's a hell yeah. of a lineup. Yeah, and Les said, oh, yeah, I played on it, but I don't think it was exactly what they were looking for. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that could be said of anything Les plays on that's not something he's written. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's fantastic. He, I he's love fantastic. him. He's, yeah, me too. He's one of the most unique people on the planet. <laughs> yeah, he's fantastic. And to do this, now you started your own label. Was yeah. that was that a difficult process? No, no, it was. Well, you know, uh, what happened? The thing that really happened was that I I got this idea that I wanted to make this record right, and I it came out of the blue really because we originally 
you know, I have this other group, Blue Coop, yes. with uh, Dennis Denham and, and Joe and and Tish and Snooky, and we did a we put out a record in November called Eleven Even. It was our third record, yes, our third Blue Coop record, and so we were supposed to be promoting that in the spring, but um. before, you know, we had we had all these. We had a, a rock cruise in Sweden in early May, and then we were going to go and and do an English tour. And we'd already contacted a booking agent and all of this other stuff. Gotcha. Meanwhile, last year, this guy I've known him for oh I don't know about about fourteen years I think okay. since two thousand six, and uh, he, he I knew him as a manager and. Uh, he approached me and said, you know, would you like me to manage you? And I said, well, uh, how about managing Blue Coop? And he goes, sure, you know, your brother too? And I go, yeah, yeah me and my brother and Dennis Dunaway. So Joe and I, I told Joe and he goes, eh, you know, let me, let me talk to him. So Joe talks to him and he goes, you know, I like him. He, he seems like he's really very enthusiastic and, and he seems to know a lot of people and he, he, uh, he seems hooked up. And most importantly, he seemed to be enthusiastic. So I, we told Dennis and Dennis is like, I already have a manager. <laughs> and I'm like, Shep? Shep is your manager? Well, why isn't Shep getting us any gigs? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could say Steve Shank is my manager too, but not going to get us any gigs. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, Dennis didn't want to do it. So Joe and so Jeff said, "Well, I'll just sign you and Joe." How's that? And I said, "That'd be great. That'd be great." So uh, Joe said, "I have a solo record that's coming out." You know, and I said, "Yeah, I've been working on this other thing. It seems pretty interesting." And anytime I tell anybody about it, they get all excited. I'm like, "So that could be good. It could be." You know, I, now I'm feeling like at first it was just I I was making demos for my band to learn so as we could do a live stream because I was like. One of the things that bugged me about it was, besides not being in Blue Oyster Cult, was I didn't have a band at that time. I didn't have anybody to go out and tour it, you know, and to play these songs live. So most of the songs had never, ever been played live by anybody. Wow. Oh, my. So that was my thing, was I wanted to make demos so that I could teach this stuff. Because I said, no, we're not, you know, we were a trio in the beginning. Right. Just me my drummer, Justin, and David Hirschberg. And so I had to make it simple enough that a trio could pull it off. So it's gonna be a lot of me furiously strumming the rhythm guitar and singing my ass off. <laughs> and other singing as well. And then then eventually we decided to get a keyboard player. So, uh, but she was only with us for a month or so. And then pandemic came and she got sick. And I thought, uh -oh. oh my God, you could COVID. Like, no, no, I'm okay. Because she was, she's a subway conductor. Oh, wow. She's one of those people that says, you know, please step inside. Yeah. Don't block horse. Keep your hands and feet clear <laughs> the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what she does. Oh, but, that's pretty uh, awesome. Yeah, well, she was my student. So that's how I, you know, I knew my drummer and her, they were in the same class. And they were, you know, I, I ended up with about... I don't know, almost a, a dozen really talented kids. I, I got a grant from the Metropolitan Opera Guild to write an opera. Oh, wow. And so, 
just a little digression. But no, I worked right. for for years as a uh, as a school teacher. Right. I wanted to ask you a little um, bit about yes. that. Anyway, so I'm yeah. happy so, to hear this. Oh, anyway. Yeah, so this is just a little little bit about my school teaching career. So in that class, there was Justin, there was Mookie, there was, um, uh, I can't remember all their names. There was uh, Saucy, who is now a stunt person, and uh, she has a, a, a clothing line, and also she's still writing songs. And then I had uh, a kid who rapped, who uh, was his name was uh, Raheem Myers. Okay. He, he he goes by the name of ASAP Rocky. Oh He's had wow! Quite a bit of stuff. Yep. I'm familiar. With he that. was my, in that same class, and and uh, Carvin's listening. Who played George Washington in Hamilton? Oh wow! What what a class! Yeah, all in the same class. You know, it was a phenomenal <laughs> class. I remember going out to dinner at the end of the year and saying, "You guys, man, somebody's somebody doesn't make it in this group." You know, I'm crazy because this is the most talented kids I've ever had. And, of course, they, you know, a bunch of them did, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Man. And two of them are on my right. Well, Justin, Justin was not able to, to, he made, he did the drums on the demos. But then how I, how I did it was I just had my, my electric kit and the drums were going straight into two channels, the stereo mix of the drums. Okay. And they were all distorted. It was sad. Oh. I could not use them. Oh. I couldn't use any of his tracks. I had to re-record them all. I did it with MIDI so that I could, well, first of all, I could change the arrangements after after the fact and say, oh, you know, that still would be fit over there a little bit. I'll move this over here. So I was doing a lot of moving things around. Yeah. Uh, and... You know, if stuff wasn't right perfectly in time, it I would just record it again because, I mean, it's easy to quantize things. And, you know, sometimes it's the easiest thing to just quantize something. But if I'm sitting there and I got the drums, you know, I'm just going to play it until it's right. Right. Yeah. It. Are there plans to uh, finish the trilogy in the future? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I've been working on, uh, you know, what songs to do, you know, it's got to have some surprises in there, but there will be a substantial amount of, uh, old blue oyster material that will be repurposed for this thing. Maybe we'll even change some of the lyrics to fit more into like a storyline. Now they're saying he's not, <laughs> <laughs> not bugging me about it, but you know, I'm, but on the other hand, when, while I was do doing this, I was like, Whatever I did, I wanted, I didn't want to do something that I thought Sandy wouldn't like, yeah. you know, even though he's not here, I wanted to keep his sensibility in there. And one of the things that he had said when we were working on these songs in my apartment was, you know, these songs should sound like you're you know, sitting around a campfire and singing these songs. These songs could be that kind of thing where it's just like uh, uh, you're in a coffee house and you sing the song. You know, it could work. It should be able to work like that. You know, that okay. solid a song. It doesn't need a big, huge, you know, bombastic band to be, uh, you know, slamming away at it. You right, know, it, yeah. it's any situation. So, so that's what I thought. I, I'm going to try and do it his way this time. Yeah. Excellent. So, well, I have yeah. one 
question this it's kind of two questions in one and it, it came from a couple of listeners when I, I threw out that i was going to have you on and uh ed snow and scott crabtree want to know a little bit about how the uh the band logo the hook and cross was developed and what's the meaning behind it oh well that as far as i know i'm trying to think if somebody asked me about bill Gawler this morning okay uh a writer and actually don, don roser's cousin oh. steve roser he, he writer <laughs> oh cool i think he wrote he wrote for gold mine i think he still does I, it's, if it still still exists i don't know but anyway he's and he's i think oh i know what it is he's making he's writing a book about blue oyster call oh okay so but as far as i remember sandy showed us he showed me, and this is maybe one of the only times I met Gallic. Uh, he was, uh, it was in a classroom in Stony Brook, and he, he had this big, long, I don't know, it was like butcher paper or something, this long paper, but it was all white. But yeah, white paper, he had created this entire city on this thing, this city of the future. Wow. And that first car album cover was just a little part of that that picture oh okay and so said, what do you think i said wow this i've never seen anything like this this is fantastic you know yeah. so he said okay bill we're gonna use this this part right here and bill says okay you know i'll just i'll make a copy and you know give it to you and then uh, i think after that sandy had told him i need shading on the windows they don't look right you got to put some shading there <laughs> <laughs> shading <laughs> but you know but sandy made him put shading on it and, and after all of that he said you know what you guys need a logo how about something like this and sandy's like wow that's that's like the alchemical symbol for you know you know turning gold into lead <laughs> <laughs> symbol for sad he had all these things that Sandy, and he's like, I love it, Bill. That's great. So Garlic designed it. Sandy saw it, and that was that. Okay. You know, oh, that's, that's what I heard. All right. That's, all, that's yeah. interesting. So now, by the time this episode comes out, Reimaginos will have been released because it's, it's going to be released in a few days from now. So where can people find the album? How can they order it? And I know I saw a, that you uh, have a cowbell autograph package kind of a thing that people can order too which yes i think is brilliant if you want the package if you want to get the thing and this t-shirt this very nice t-shirt oh, nice here, I'll buy it for you oh wow look at that <laughs> shirt oh that's so great. if you want that shirt and the cowbell and a guitar pick i think yeah and um and uh the cd and a poster I think. and a poster yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, you have to go to Deco Entertainment website. Okay. Deco Entertainment. D-E-K-O. D-E-K-O, yes. Not just Deco, because that's a rapper. Oh, yeah. And you wouldn't be able to get my T-shirt from him. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so. Uh, but... Deco 
Geico Entertainment is the parent company to my label. Okay. Okay. And their parent company is uh, ADA Warner. So it's major distribution. And, you know, we're, it's uh, Jeff Keller has hooked, hooked us. I was saying before how we signed with him, and he has been great. He's, he's really hooked us up with a lot of good stuff. So, oh, you know, wow. including Chipster, who we'll arranged this, uh, this interview right now. And, uh, and you're number 30. Four, oh my god in two weeks Jeez. yeah yeah, yeah you're a lot you're a busy man yeah yeah well i actually okay so deco when i you know when i signed with them i said i want my record to be a double vinyl record just like sandy and i want it and they said, well we'll see you know we're gonna see how it sells we'll see what happens with the pre-sales okay so we've sold about 3000 copies so far. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, we're doing a we're doing a vinyl. So That's awesome. for the past week when I haven't been doing interviews, I've been uh doing the last song that I didn't even put on this one, which is Imagine Us Overture, which was going to be on the original, which I had never recorded. Oh, wow. Going to be an overture, yeah. So, oh man. And Joe my brother Joe plays trumpet again, and Greg Holt, the violinist on Black Telescope, and uh, and uh, and Siege and Investiture, he's going to be on it too. And oh, everybody, R.J. Barranquillo playing guitar, Ross the Boss playing guitar, my son Ace is playing keyboards. So it's yeah, it's going to be, it's oh, that's so that's a great tune, and so I've been working on that. But um, so is that going to oh, be? Oh, I wanted to say about the one other thing. Yeah, it's yeah, soft. Is it? <laughs> it's, it's not a guild and gildans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> times before it feels good. Oh, that's... or maybe never. Will yeah. It? Yeah. <laughs> no, just nice and soft. Just nice and soft. Oh soft shirt. man. Is there a social media presence where people can follow you and, and keep track of the releases and see? Yeah. What, well, I have a Facebook. I have a Facebook. I have a. Uh, I have a Twitter, but I, I don't do it. I don't know. You know, I just got turned off with, yeah, I don't want to go political on this, but you know, it's just like uh, a certain person abusing it. And I'm like, nah, nah, that's not for me. I'm not going there. I hate that format. I really do. I'm more of an Instagram kind of guy. Yeah. I like Instagram. I'm a, I'm a, okay. So, and that's alt Bush, A L T B O U C H. Okay. And that's for Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Oh, great. So I have a YouTube channel. I have, um, now I don't know, hundreds, hundreds of videos. I have a vlog series that I do for half a year called Most Cowbell. That's awesome. I'm starting season five in uh, 2021. So, Oh, awesome. Yeah, Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is awesome. So, yeah, that's me doing whatever I do. You know, if I'm doing music, most of the time it's music, but... Uh, last summer, my youngest son, Ace, and myself, we built my girlfriend in back here in the woods back. This is my girlfriend's house where I keep my Airstream. Okay. And so in the back, in the, in, in the back of her woods, we built her a wine bar. Ooh. Like a backyard. Pub. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it really, it came out so good. Oh my God. It's, it's, you know, and you know, it's like in the thirties here now, if you go into that thing, because we had three refrigerators in there. Oh, wow. 
So the beer and the wine, the white wine and stuff, it's all cold, but the room is warm because there's compressors kicking out heat from the refrigerators. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it, it has, you know, and everything. And that's on YouTube? You guys building that? Yeah. The, oh, the cool. building of that. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I did a bunch of drone stuff too. So it's, oh, yeah, it's wow. fun. I got to check that out. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that was last season, and and uh, I built my storage space a couple of years ago too. There, so oh. that's another. I did two building, two building series on that, and then, uh, but a lot of time, or it's a me talking about how I developed some of my riffs, or or uh, putting in new pickups and a guitar, or one guitar. I got this guitar really cheap. It was a Gibson Firebird. Ooh, I like. But that. it was. But it was cheap, you know, it was like, a, and it was a brand new too, but they had, I don't know, I, it was this, I think they, it wasn't that popular. The finish was terrible. I had to repaint it, but I, I, I took out, I replaced everything basically, except for the wood. I, all the electronics, I, I changed the electronics. I put in a Bixby vibrato on it. Oh, cool. I put lock, new bridge, you know. So yeah, that's a good one. Now, lots of people like that one. Yeah, I have to check that out. That's kind of stuff I like too. And I also I got I got like you see those Fender Acoustasonic uh, guitars. You know they sound like acoustic guitars. Yes. Those new ones. There's a Tele and the and the Strat. Well, I got a Tele one. I found one for pretty yeah. cheap with a demo, and I did some jazz on it. And oh, that was like yeah. wow! I never thought I would do. You know, but it's it plays like an electric guitar, oh, and it sounds like an acoustic. And you, then you play some little jazz stuff on it, and it sounds amazing. So oh, that's cool. So that's another one. That but anyway, so that's yeah, my YouTube channel, and I also like uh, Deco is going to put out. You know, they put out my videos right on their channel, but then a week or so later, I'll put it out on my own channel with closed captions in every language oh cool that's awesome yeah <laughs> yeah because i want to tour the whole freaking world yes you know i want to go to china i want to go to to russia and south america brazil and colombia and oh. argentina well australia everywhere well when you when you get the chance to get hit the road and you hit dc i'm gonna be there all right, man. I'll get up with, uh, be, with you guys. We'll get some tickets. I'll, I'll uh, bring my camera, take some pictures. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, man. Awesome. That'd be cool. I have kept you a long time. Thank you so much for spending so much time with it and, and explaining Imaginos to me, the original one to me. It, it makes a lot more sense now. Okay, good. Glad to be of help. One other thing. If you get the cowbell package, do not try to play the cowbell. Oh, <laughs> It sounds terrible, and if you hit it too hard, it's just going to dent. Oh, it's a decorative cowbell? <laughs> it's de strictly decorative. <laughs> well, it's, it's autographed, too, isn't it? Yes, it's autographed. I don't think I'd want to play an autographed cowbell. I'd, I'd like to keep that one in nice shape. <laughs> I think stepping the cowbells to sign, I'm like, what? <laughs> Nobody's going to play this. You got to put a disclaimer on there yeah. not to be under any circumstance <laughs> unless it's a medical emergency. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Albert, thank you so much. Man. It's been a blast. I really appreciate all your yeah. time. Yeah. And, this uh, has been fun. 
My silverfish and Beatrix is incorrupted. I see through the charms of doctors and their wives. Salamander Drake and the power that was indeed. Rise to claim Saturn, ring and sky. By those who see with their eyes closed, you know me by It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 